0: Tonight is we get to look at a story uh, many of you are familiar with, but I'm hoping that tonight maybe you'll notice some things about uh, the story of Cain and Abel that maybe you haven't noticed before, Um, and, and hopefully we just have a great time in God's Word. So in this new fallen world, it's not a new world, it's the same world, but in a sense it's not the same world, if you get what I'm saying. Right there was It was in a state of perfection. God had created the world, everything was awesome. And then Adam and Eve sinned, and the world is now fallen. So God creates Adam and Eve. I'm just recapping if you, you know are new to our uh, studies and you haven't been here for every, Uh, Wednesday so far, just kind of recapping what we talked about. We talked about God creating uh, the heavens and the earth and all that was made. He creates Adam and Eve. Uh, he, He tells Adam and Eve that they can eat of all the trees of the garden except for one tree. What was that tree? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Good job. You guys have been paying attention, right? He tells them not to eat of this tree, but then the serpent, which who is the serpent? Is it just some random snake? Is it just a random snake? No. no, the serpent was who? Was Satan himself, yes. But the certain serpent, he comes and he tempts Eve, right? And Eve, ultimately, she gives into that temptation. She heeds the voice of the serpent. She's deceived and she eats of the very tree that God said, do not eat of this tree. And then she gives to Adam the fruit of that tree as well. And Adam does the same thing. He transgresses God. Eve was deceived into eating it. Adam knew better and yet he still did so. We looked at that a couple weeks ago and last week we looked about, we looked at how God, he he curses Adam and Eve and really all of mankind. You guys know a lot of, you know, the just the, the problems and sad stuff we see in the world today that like Quite frankly, we can't really explain why these bad things exist. You know, there is an actual explanation that we can point to, and it's not a cop-out. But what we can point to is the fact that we live in a fallen world. And living in a fallen world, bad things happen. Sin is a part of this world. And tonight, you guys, we're going to be looking at the story of Cain and Abel. You see, after Adam and Eve, uh, after they had sinned in the garden, uh, it's clear, based on what we're going to look at in the story of Cain and Abel today, that God's relationship with mankind... You see, when when Adam and Eve were in the garden, God walked with them in the garden. He talked with them in the garden. They had this super close and connected relationship with God. But today, in Genesis 4, we're going to see... That now in their relationship is the concept of sacrifice, the concept of offering unto the Lord. Things are different now. Their relationship with God, mankind's relationship with God, is now different than it was before the fall. So if you guys will stand, we are going to read Genesis 4. And I know the temptation in reading more than a handful, we're going to read 15 verses all right, which is like, oh my goodness, I've never read 15 of anything in my life. I know. I get it. But try your best to stay focused and what helps me stay focused when I'm like reading, like it's it's not a, you know, a huge chunk of scripture, but it is, you know, going to require you to pay attention. What I would encourage you to do is create visuals in your mind as we read this story. Think about what it might have looked like. What this situation, what this scenario might have been like. Just think about it in your mind as we read together. Are you guys there? Genesis chapter four? Yeah? If you're there, say what? Word. No, not what. So- sorry, I guess I, I kind of set you up for failure there. If you're there, say word. Word. All right, that's like I was trying to get you to say word. All right, Genesis chapter four, verse one. Look down in your Bibles with me. Now, Adam knew his wife, And she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened, opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. You guys can be seated. And as you are seated, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, it's wild to think that we are reading of events that happened so long ago, and yet these events are for our learning this day. God, that as we look into your eternal word, which you have said, Lord, you have esteemed it higher than your own name. Lord, as we look into these things tonight, We ask that your Holy Spirit would do what only your Holy Spirit can do, and that is make your word make sense to us, make it applicable to us, and make it, Lord, something that transforms our very lives this night. God, I pray for uh, any students who maybe they felt some, some distance in their relationship with you recently, Lord, that tonight, Lord, that they would get right with you. Lord, that they would realize it's not you that's been distant, but rather them. And Lord, that you are waiting for them to come right back to you. And your arms are open wide, ready to receive them. God, we give you this time. We ask that you would be so glorified in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, if you guys are taking notes tonight, we'll have some slides up there for you tonight. And our first point... We're not going to have like this normal three-point study like we normally do. I just, you know, felt like it wasn't necessarily what the text called for. So we'll have a handful of points, actually. And the first point that we're going to look at is the two sons. The two sons, right? We are introduced in verses 1 through 2a, and remember, when there's a letter next to a verse, that tells you if it's the first part of the verse, or if it's the second part, or even third part sometimes. And so we know that this is referring to verse 1, and the first part of verse 2, we're introduced to the two sons. I'm going to read them again so you guys can uh, understand what I'm saying. It says, now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. So now in this fallen world, remember we are post the fall now, meaning we, the fall has happened and we are now on the other side of the fall. Adam gives, or excuse me, <laughs> Eve gives birth uh, to Cain. Cain is the firstborn son and remember, Remember back to the curse that we looked at last week, you guys. Childbirth is now this painful and very difficult thing. And Eve gives birth to Cain. And then shortly after, some people say that Cain and Abel were twins. I don't, you know, the Bible doesn't say that. I don't necessarily think that. But I do think that shortly after Cain was born, that Abel was then born as well. But let's look at, let's look at Cain and his name. It's kind of interesting, uh, you know, the way that they named people back in the, the Hebrew, uh, you know, days, is they would name them like after certain things or after certain situations or even places at time, You know, we just like, in today's culture, in American culture, we just like, I like the name Tate. I don't know what it means, but I like it, you know, (laughs) and that's how we do things. But in the Hebrew culture, they would name uh, their sons and their daughters specific things. And the name Cain, it seems weird, but the name means acquire. And I want to talk to you about why uh, Eve gave the name acquire uh, to Cain. The reason why is remember back in Genesis 3.15, you guys remember what we looked at last week for those of you who were here? Yes? How the fall happened, but there's that one little promise in Genesis 3.15 that changes everything, right? Hopefully you remember what we're talking about here. How God promises that there is now sin in the world, but there's gonna be a day where through Eve, through her seed, meaning through one of her children one day, or in, you could say, in her lineage that there would be a redeemer that would come through her lineage. And we ultimately know on this side of history, who was that redeemer? Who was that redeemer? It was Jesus, right? But did Eve know that it was Jesus at this point in time? Did she? Let's use our brains here and let's participate. Did Eve know at that point in time? No, she did not. She did not know. She didn't know who Jesus was. She just knew that God had promised that there was going to be a redeemer. And then after that promise, she has a son. And so what do you think Eve might be thinking in this moment? This is the redeemer. And she names Cain "Acquire" because what she means by that is I have acquired the man from the Lord that was promised. And then shortly after, Abel is born. And poor Abel, if you know anyone named Abel, uh, you can tell them what their name really means. Um, anybody, any Abels in here tonight? Okay, good. I don't feel bad. Uh, but Abel means breath or vapor, right? It means nothing. It means vanity or meaninglessness. Yeah, I know. So the reason, sh- you're like, why would she name, name her son such a, such a horrible name, right? Because she saw Cain as the redeemer, right? She thought Cain was gonna grow up to be the redeemer. She saw Abel as, oh, he's just, he's nothing. He's just the, the, second, the second baby I had, the second son that I had. But we will go on to see in just a moment that Cain would not be the redeemer, nor would it be Abel. But the acquired one that would crush the serpent, see, she, she saw Cain as this one that would be the one who uh, would redeem the world, would redeem the, the fallen sinful world. And she just saw Abel as like, oh, it's just Abel, right? And so these two sons, they grow up. Time goes on. We don't necessarily read that they grow up, but we know that they didn't come out of the womb, you know, tilling the ground and keeping sheep. They had to have grown up. And so they grow up, and we're told about, if you're taking notes, their two jobs. The sons, two jobs. They have two jobs, two occupations. Abel, we're told his job first, in verse 2b, we read that Abel was a keeper of sheep. It's another way of saying shepherd. Who are some other shepherds we know of in the Bible? David. Jesus essentially is referred to as the, the good shepherd. Yeah, we, we, know some, we know some shepherds in the Bible, and Abel was the first shepherd. And then Cain, we're told that Cain was a tiller of the ground. It's, it's just another way of saying that Cain was a farmer or a cultivator, you could say, right? And both of these jobs, now after the fall of mankind, now after sin had entered into the world, both of these jobs are really hard jobs, to be completely honest. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't often think like, we think of like David as a shepherd, right? And we just think that, oh my gosh, he's just hanging out with cute little sheep all day. You know, sheep are very dumb. They are like, they are the worst animals to take care of because they like, well, they'll they'll walk themselves off a cliff. They'll leave the flock. They'll, you know, just go and do all these things, get themselves in trouble. Tending to sheep is hard work. It really is. And that's what Abel did, but also Cain he also had a difficult job because remember back in Genesis three seventeen through nineteen is it was uh you know after the fall was it the same process of getting food from the ground and food from trees? Do you guys remember God said it's gonna be different now you know before i I just provided you know uh you know trees and You could just grab the fruit and you didn't have to even work for it at all. But post-fall, we know that God said, now you're going to have to work for what you eat. In labor and toil, you shall then get what you're going to eat. So both of these things are difficult jobs. Both being a shepherd and both being a farmer are difficult jobs. But I want to ask you guys, did God see one job as better than the other? No, 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 no. we have no indication of thinking that God likes shepherds more than he likes farmers, right? We know that the Bible tells us that God is not a respecter of persons. You guys know what that means? That means if you're rich, if you're poor, God doesn't love you any more or any less, all right? And if you have this job or if you have that job, he doesn't love you any more or any less because of your job or because of your skin color, or because of your family, or because of this, or because of that. He's not a respecter of persons. You see, he doesn't love CEOs more than he loves fast food workers. And I'm thankful for that, right? Because I'm no CEO over here, but I know that God loves me. And if you're, we're going to move on in our note-taking, if you guys are taking notes, to now looking at the son's two offerings. The sons' two offerings. We read it not that long ago, but let me refresh your memory. It says, And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. So, in the process of time, is what we see at the beginning of verse three. In the process of time, basically, it's a a fancy way of saying like at the end of a season of time. So at the end of this season of time, whatever that season of time was, Cain and Abel bring their offerings to the Lord. And it's very clear that these are two different offerings, right? We see that they are different in their substance, meaning that one is of fruit and one is of fruit. Uh, a, a sheep, a, a lamb, the firstborn from Abel's flock. And Cain, he brings an offering of fruit is what it says. The fruit of the ground, Abel, it says that he brings to the Lord the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And at first glance, at face value, we see the difference between these two, right? You see that, oh, one's, Cain brings fruit. He's a farmer. That makes sense. Abel, Brings firstborn lamb, we can actually, you know, uh, some suggest that he brought multiple firstborn lambs to the Lord, uh, and he brings them to the Lord as a sacrifice. We see the difference there, but what we don't see, or what we don't always notice is the subtle descriptions of their offering, right? What does it say about Cain's offering? It just says, an offering of fruit but there's a little bit more description about Abel's offering. I want you guys to notice it. It doesn't just say that Abel brought a sheep, does it? Does it? No, it's not not said in the same way about Cain's offering. It just says Cain brought some fruit. That's basically what it means. But Abel brings the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. We can clearly see that there was more devotion in Abel's offering than there was Cain's. You guys seeing that? Are we taking note of that? Good. I want you to listen to how the New Living Translation, we don't read out in the New Living Translation here like as our main Bible, but it's it's, you know, Good to refer to every now and then when you need to make more sense of a particular verse if it's not adding up. The New Living Translation says it it this way, that Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. A little bit easier to see the difference in the New Living Translation, right? You see the difference in devotion. You can jot that down in your note-taking. Difference in devotion. They were unique offerings, not only in what they were, but in their devotion. Abel, he brought his very best to the Lord. But what does it say about Cain's offering? No, he brought some fruit. He just brought some fruit. Now, I wanna, I wanna have you guys participate in illustrating this to make it make sense to you. You know, when I read the Bible, you know, I think, uh, how, how can I understand this for me in my life? The, so if, if Cain brings a, a can of beans to the Lord, then Abel brings a well-prepared steak dinner. You get what I'm saying? Now, take that model that I just gave you and someone give me another example. If Cain brought this, Abel brought this. Help me out here, Lazarus. If Cain brought spam, what did Abel bring? A bowl of noodles. A bowl of noodles? Okay. Someone, someone, maybe with a little bit better of a comparison. It's David, right? Yeah. David. If if Cain brought let's start with Cain. Cain brought bakers. Cain brought bakers. Abel brought in and out. I like that. Although I haven't had bakers in so long, I don't even remember if it was good or bad. But I'm going to take your word for it that it's not very good. Lyric. Shh. Oh, no. Anthony, can you show them where the door is? No, I'm just kidding. I I, uh, I respectfully disagree with that one. I am a uh, shh. I am, I consider myself a Kaniac. I am a, I'm a big fan. All right, last one, Cambria. If Cain brought a goldfish, Abel brought a dog. dog. All right, yeah, goldfish. I mean, can we be honest about something? I'm not a cat guy, right? But even I can recognize, that cats are like more enjoyable pets than fish. Like fish, you just look at them like you can't really call it a pet. It's just you stare at it. But dogs, however, dogs are my favorite animals basically in the entire world. So shh, are you guys getting what, what we're all saying though? Cain brought one kind of offering that was not his best. But Abel brought the very best that he could Possibly bring to the Lord. You see, each of their offerings, even uh, despite the difference in their in their substance in what they actually were, each of their offerings reflect the devotion of of their heart. Each of their offerings reflect the posture of their heart. Have you guys ever heard that before? It's a it's a Christian term that sometimes you'll hear people use. The posture of your heart. Does it, has anyone heard that? It's, it's, I wanna kind of explain what it means. It means that the inner you has a posture towards God. What is posture, right? You sit up straight, you stand up straight, you slouch, right? That's, that's what we think of with posture. And your heart, the inner you, has a posture before God. And for some of us, our posture is not one of reverence and love, but is one of pride and apathy. When it should be a posture of humility, reverence and love for the Lord. And I'm sure you guys can figure out who represented the right posture towards God in this story. Out of the two, you got a 50-50 shot. (laughs) Who represented the right posture towards the Lord? Abel did, Abel did, and we see that in Abel's offering. You see, the posture of Cain's heart was not one of love and reverence for the Lord, but it was one of just obligation. Cain brought to the Lord an offering because it was what Cain had to do. But Abel, the posture of Abel's heart was one not of religious obligation, not because he had to do it, but because he loved the Lord and had a deep reverence for the Lord. You see, Abel had a very real worshipful love for the Lord that caused him to give the very best that he had to his God. Abel said, Lord, I want to give you all of the best of what I have. Cain did not have this. Cain did not think this way. Cain... Didn't, didn't have a love for the Lord. But rather he gave this, this lackluster, this, this like careless offering to the Lord. He, he could care less. And he only did it because it was something that he knew he was supposed to do. Abel gave his best. Cain gave the leftovers. You see, Cain did not worship God as God was to be worshiped. You know, God gets to make the rules with how he is worshipped. And Cain's like, yeah, I'm not going to worship God that way. I'm going to worship him my way. Which is just, eh, it's whatever. That's all I, you know, I'm going to worship God like this, I guess. I'm just going to bring my fruit. That's it. Whereas Abel recognized, Lord, I want to give you the very best that I have. The very best. You see, I believe, I know, that some of us approach, let's just take the worshiping in song to the Lord this way. Some of us approach worship that way. We're like, I don't, I don't really feel like singing tonight. I, you know, I know God's worthy. I know I gotta, I should, I should do it. You know, maybe I'll just, I'll just sing, uh, you know, to myself, just real quietly. And Abel, on the other hand, gives us an example of one that we should apply to our own lives and our own worship of the Lord. Of Lord, you're, you're worthy of my very best. You see, I don't know what kind of day you guys had today, but maybe you feel like I just, I'm just not at my best tonight. God is still worthy of your very best tonight. So bring him your very best tonight. Some of us approach reading the Bible this way. We we procrastinate our, our morning Bible time or, you know, we sleep in and I'm guilty of it too. I'll be the first one to say it. We sleep in and maybe we had planned to spend, you know, 30 to 45 minutes with the Lord in his word. And you sleep in and you're like, well, I got five minutes, Lord. Let me just open up your word and just read a couple of words here. And, and, you know, I'll do my time. That's giving God leftovers. That's giving him not your very best. That's just giving him what, what, what you got left. And God says, no, I want all of you. I want you to prioritize me. I want you to prioritize your love for me. But we're all so guilty of this. We make it to the end of the day and realize, oh man, I didn't read today. Well, you know, I, I'm busy. Some of us even say this, you know, I, and I've, I've asked some of you guys, hey, you, you reading the word? What you, what you been reading? Well, I'm so busy right now, you know, I, I haven't really been reading. That's giving God leftovers. He needs to be first. Your time with him needs to be first. We might even approach going to church like that. Maybe some of you are here tonight just like Cain because you, you got to do it. Your parents force you to. You don't want to be here, but you're doing it. You're punching in your time clock. You're here because you just it's what your family does. It's what you got to do. And God says, no, I want you to come and I want you to worship me and love me and learn about me and learn about the love that I have for you and to study my word. God wants your very best. He doesn't, you see, God's not into your obligatory religious deeds, meaning the the, the Cain-like mindset of, well, I'm just doing this because it's my obligation to do this. I gotta do it. I gotta read my Bible because I gotta read my Bible. That's, I mean, that's it. Because it's one of the Christian things that I do. And God says, I want your best. God wants your heart. In Micah, verses 6, 6 through 8, it's a great verse to go back to from time to time. It'll be on the screens for you guys. Sorry if it's a little small there, but just jot down the reference. It says, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old, Will the Lord be pleased with 10 with excuse me with thousands of rams 10,000 rivers of oil shall I give my firstborn for my transgression the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul you know what that sounds like to me that sounds like just religious obligation just doing religion because it's what you're supposed to do but i love where verse 8 tells us says he, being God, has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Meaning, what does God want from you? Does he want just your mindless religion where you just read the Bible to read it? Does he want your, your mindless worship where you might even be opening your mouth, singing the song, but your mind, you're in la-la land? Does he want that? What does he want? It says, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. See, God is not after our Cain-like religion where our hearts are far from him, where we're just bringing our offerings to him, and our heart before the Lord is far from him. God says, no, I want your heart to be near to me, and I want you to be head over heels for me. I want to be first in your life. That's what God wants out of us. Romans 12, 1, you guys, this is a great verse, and I would encourage you to even memorize it. It says, Paul says in Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself, your bodies, excuse me, a living sacrifice, Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. This is awesome. What Paul is saying here, you guys, is that you want to know what the best kind of worship to the Lord is? It's your life. It's your entire life. It's saying, Lord, my life is going to be a living sacrifice for you. That's what Paul's saying here. He says, present your bodies, your life, as a living sacrifice to the Lord because it is your reasonable service. You know what that means? It means that when you consider all that God has done for you and the love that God has for you, the only proper response to that is to present your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. And while God, he, he loves the songs that we sing to him, he loves when we praise him, what he wants more than that. You see, what we're capable of doing is we're capable, and trust me, speaking from experience here, we're capable of showing up to church and worshiping the Lord, maybe even raising your hands. And yet your life is all about you. It's not about the Lord. You show up to church, you sing the songs, you play the part. But then when you leave this place, you're just living for you. And God says, I want your whole life. I don't want just your, your time here at church. I want everything. God wants it all. He wants your best. And in verses 4b, the second part of verse 4b through verse 5, we see our next point, which is God's responses to their offerings. He has two different responses to each Cain and Abel. Two responses. We read in the second half of verse 4 that God respected Abel and Abel's offering to him. The idea of God respecting Abel and Abel's offering was that he gladly accepted Abel's worship unto him. God was all about Abel's heart. He's like, Yes, Abel, how you're worshiping me is how I desire to be worshiped because Abel's heart was right before him. And we read in verse 5 that God did not respect Cain nor Cain's offering. And is is this because God was in a, a bad mood and, you know, he's like, oh man, Abel, I just, I just, Cain, I just like Abel so much better than you? Is is that why God doesn't accept Cain's offering? No. God doesn't have moods, right? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So why does God not accept Cain's offering, but he does accept Abel's? Well, it's because Cain's offering was not an offering of true worship of the Lord. Remember what we just spent a good time looking at, you guys, that that Abel's offering was a, a, an offering of a true worshipful heart, while Cain's was just obligation, just doing it because he has to. And the New Testament, I love when the Bible speaks of itself, when it gives you more insights into story, into stories, excuse me. The New Testament tells us a little bit more about this story of Cain and Abel, and that actually gives us insight as to why God respected Abel's offering and not Cain. It says. In Hebrews eleven four, look to the screens and jot down the reference in your notes. It says that by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And through it, he being dead still speaks. You see, Abel's offering was one of faith and righteousness. In 1 John 3, verses 10 through 12, also look to the screens or jot down the reference for yourself. It says, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness, meaning whoever does not do the right thing that God says to do, that's essentially what righteousness is, says whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who, do, who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. See, what we're told here is that Cain goes on to murder Abel Because Cain was unrighteous. Cain was of the wicked one, and his works were evil. See, Abel knew the kind of offering that God was after. He knew what God wanted. wanted, God wanted the heart's best. And we should absolutely apply this lesson to our relationships with the Lord, that God wants the best of us. If you're taking notes, write that down. God wants the best of me. And maybe even underneath that, just put 100%. That's what God wants of you. God doesn't want 99%. He wants the whole 100%. And so Cain, in response to God rejecting his offering, he gets gets real upset. He gets down in the dumps. We read that he becomes very angry and his very countenance fell. Now, we don't use this word countenance in our modern language, but what the word countenance means is it's like, it's like your overall demeanor, right? You know when like, you, you see a friend or a family member and you're like, what's wrong with you today, right? You're like, something's up with you. Like You seem down. You seem upset. And, and they might not have said a word to you, but you can just read it all over them. That's kind of what we mean when we're talking about Cain's countenance falling. What I think of it is like this. You guys remember when you were kids? Maybe some of you still do this, hopefully not. But when you're in the grocery store, right? And you're there with your mom or your dad, and you're grocery shopping, and you want that that box of cereal, right? Or whatever it may be for you. And you you what do you do? What do you do? This is what you do. Watch. You go to the box, you grab the cereal. You grab it yourself, right? And your mom's like at the end of the aisle, right? And you, you take the box and you're like, hey, mom, can we get the cereal? And she's like, no. And you're like, ah. So she's like, go put it back. And you might try and sneak it in the cart. And she's like, no, go put it back, right? And then so you, you do this. You go, you go like this. You get that box of cereal, right? You put it back on the shelf. And then you come back like this. Right? Your countenance has fallen. Cain's countenance, he was now angry. He was very upset. But his anger and his frustration was because of him, not because of the Lord. And so in verses 6 through 7, moving on in our note-taking, you guys, we see God's gracious warning to Cain. You see, I've, I've read the story of Cain and Abel... Uh, a handful of times in my life, more than a handful. And yet in studying for tonight to teach you guys about it, what I was just amazed by was the grace and mercy of God with Cain. See, God gives this gracious warning to Cain. We see in verses 6 through 7, it says, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. I want you guys to note down, if you haven't already, what's on the screen, that God's response, God's warning to Cain is one of care and caution, right? He tells Cain, he's like, Cain, why are you bummed out? Why are you upset? If you do the right thing, Cain, you, you'll be accepted. If you bring a true offering to me, Cain, we're good, right? You'll be accepted. Your offering will be accepted. But God saw through Cain and saw what was in Cain's heart and saw what Cain was going to do. And so he warns Cain. He says, Cain, I want you to know that sin is right at your doorstep, and its desire is to pounce on you and destroy you. Sin wants to, you guys look at me, sin wants to destroy you, and it will, but what we need to learn about what God says to Cain right here is that we are not victims to sin, when any temptation to sin is presented to us, you always have the ability to say no. Pay attention to the descriptive words that God is using in regards to sin. God is essentially like almost giving us this picture of sin being like this, like just this lion that is waiting to destroy this like gazelle or whatever lions eat, right? And have you ever seen a lion before they like actually attack a prey? I don't know why, but I've just been on this rabbit trail recently of just watching like, you know, like wildlife, like eat other wildlife. It's not good. Um, but it's, it's nature, you know, and it's, it's the way things is. But it's like, it's such a guy thing to be like, oh yeah, get it, you know? <laughs> I'm sorry. But you think about how, you think about how a lion is right before it attacks. Maybe you've never seen it. Don't go look it up at home. <laughs> but a lion, it like, it like loads up. It's like in this crouched position, like so ready to just surprise the prey and destroy it. And God is almost describing sin in this way. And God would say to you all tonight, everybody look at me, God would say to you, That sin is at your doorstep and it wants to destroy you, but you don't have to let it. You can say no. You can rule over sin. No one in this room, no one in this world is ever a victim to their sin. When you sin, when I sin, when any of us sin, we are sinning because we chose to do it. Right? We're never a victim of like, oh, I, I didn't have a choice. That is the opposite of what the Bible says. In First Corinthians 10:13, jot down the reference, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. We all deal with temptation. Nobody is exempt from that. You have the temptations in your life that the enemy uses to try and get you to sin. I have the temptations in my life that the enemy uses to try to get me to sin. But what we need to realize is every time That we are experiencing temptation, the Bible says, is there's always a way out. There's always a way out. You're never like in this like room trapped where you can't get out of the scenario that you're in. God says there's always a way of escape. If you guys remember, probably only eighth graders were around. Uh, but when we looked at temptation in James, I told you guys that the way I remember this verse and remember the concept of what this verse is talking about is I remember in Finding Nemo, believe it or not, when in the original Finding Nemo, the sharks are attacking, uh, you know, uh, Nemo and uh, uh, oh, not Nemo, uh, Marlin and uh, Dory. They're they're in the ship. And they're looking for a way out, right? And Dory, she sees the, this, this door, like, or whatever, and it, she's like, huh, escape, right? And it is, she's reading something that says escape, but she says it as escape. And he's like, oh, it's escape. That's how we get out. And it's like, God, every time that you are tempted, he always provides to you the way of escape. He always provides to you the escape. And so I, I like, I'm not, I'm not even joking. To this day, it's what helps me remember the truth of this verse. That with every time I'm tempted, whenever sin is at my doorstep, wanting to devour me, God always gives me a way of escape. But as we know, Cain, he does not take the way of escape. If you're taking notes, the next thing we see in verse 8 is how Cain murders Abel. Instead of shh, instead of heeding God's warning, instead of listening to what the Lord warned him about, Cain lets sin rule over him and destroy him. And he talks to Abel, he's like, Abel, let's go out to the field today. And Abel's, you know, Abel's innocent, Abel's righteous, and he's like, okay, brother. And so they go out to the field, and it's there where Cain kills Abel. You see what I want you guys to understand is we can easily read what Cain did to Abel and be like, oh, that's so horrible. But we, we can't forget what Jesus says about hating, right? We can't forget that Jesus says that if you hate one another, if you hate your brother, if you hate your family member, if you hate this person or that person in your heart, what have you done, Jesus says? You've murdered them in your heart. You've done the same thing that Cain did to Abel. You've just done it internally, and God sees it. In 1 John 2, 9 through 11, it says, just uh, look at verse 10. It says that he who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And in First John 3.15, just a couple uh, pages over, maybe even just one page over in First John, it says that whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You see... If you're, if you're a child of God, if you're a believer, then you are not to hate. Because in hating, in hating this person, in hating that person, you are committing murder in your heart. And that's a big deal. But moving on, in verses 9 through 15, we're not going to read them all again for the sake of time. But we see in our note-taking, you can jot down God's conversation with Cain. So now Cain has done the deed. He's killed his brother. And now God calls out to Cain. And I'm just blown away at the mercy of God. Like God calls out to Cain and says, Cain, where's, where's Abel? Where's your brother? Abel's dead. And yet God calls out to Cain. Now why would God call out to Cain if God already knew what Abel had done? Because God is giving Abel, um, excuse me, God is giving Cain an opportunity to confess. He's giving giving Abel an opportunity to get right, to come clean. Well, what does Cain say? Instead of coming clean, he says, he gets all sassy with the Lord. He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for watching after my brother? This This is what Cain does. God's, God, in his mercy, says, Cain, where's Abel? And Abel, or Cain goes, I don't know, Lord. Why would I know? And then God turns to Cain and says, Cain, what have you done? And he goes on to tell Cain that he knows that he killed Abel. And the Lord, he goes on to curse Cain. He tells him that when he goes to farm the land, this is the result of Cain's actions. When he goes to farm the land, which is what he did. He was a farmer. God says, the ground's not going to produce any good crops for you anymore. You're going to struggle no matter how hard you work. See, in addition to the ground no longer yielding good crops for him, God tells Cain that from that moment on, he's going to be like a criminal on the run. He's never going to be able to settle down into a home. He's always going to be wandering And instead of repenting in this moment, you know, Cain has an opportunity to to at least like say, sorry, Lord, I did the wrong thing in response to God telling him, this is how you will be cursed. But what does Cain do? He says, my punishment is too much to bear. He points the finger at God and says, Lord, you are being too harsh with me. Cain, he wasn't sorry at all for what he had done. But it's, it's just wild to me that God, in his amazing mercy, still promises that Cain is going to be protected by him. It says that God sets a mark on Cain. There's some debate among scholars as to what that mark may have been. Was it something physical? Was it, you know, something spiritual? Was it just something that when people who might have seen Cain, they just knew, don't mess with this guy? I don't know. But it says that God set a mark on him to protect Cain because God is merciful. So I want to jump to our takeaways for tonight. i like to, I like to end giving you guys what are the things that we should take away from tonight's message from this portion of Genesis 4. And worship team, you guys can come on out. You see, God isn't after a Cain-like worship, a Cain-like sense of worship where your heart is far from the Lord. And you're just singing the songs. He doesn't want that. He wants your heart to be right with him. God, he doesn't want our leftovers. We talked about that earlier. He wants our very best. In the ultimate form of giving God our very best, like we're going to have an opportunity to sing songs. And that's great. We're going to sing praises unto the Lord. He is going to hear us as we sing tonight. But the ultimate form of worshiping the Lord is to give your entire life to him. Every part of who you are. Not just this next 30 minutes of of singing, not quite 30 minutes, but to give your entire life, to be a living sacrifice. And we're reminded that sin, you guys, is waiting to overtake and rule over us, but it doesn't have to be that way. Just like God told Cain... There's a way out, Cain. You don't have to do this. God would tell us that same thing, that with every temptation you guys face, he's given us a way out. And we're reminded that to hate someone in our heart is to murder them within us. If you have a hate for someone tonight in your heart, you gotta, you got to take that to the Lord. you got to take that to the Lord. It's eating you up inside. And God's plan of redemption, we didn't look at it, but we would, you know the story goes on. And I'll tell you that you know, we, can, we can assume that the, the promised redeemer would have come from the lineage of Abel. But because Abel was murdered, God raised up another son named Seth. Through whom, ultimately, Jesus would be in that lineage of Seth. And so let's pray and then we will worship the Lord. God. We recognize, Lord, that no one, no one in here would say that they want to be like Cain. That would be crazy. But God, I think that we are all too often like Cain in the way that we worship and live for you. We don't give you our best. We just give you the leftovers. But God, may it not be so going forward. May it be that truly we would offer unto you our entire lives as living sacrifices. Lord, giving you all of us. Not 99%, 100%. Because that's what you want. And God, as we, as we sing praises unto you in this time, Lord, there is, there is no reason Why anyone in here should worship you out of half-heartedness after what we just learned. To do so would be to mimic the offering of Cain. God, may we follow the example of Abel who worshiped you in faith and in righteousness. He gave all that he had because he loved you. He feared you and he, re- he recognized that you are everything. God, may, may our songs be so pleasing to you. I pray for any student that maybe even, they, they might right now just feel you stirring up their heart to worship you. Maybe even for the first time to sing, to sing praises unto you. And they're fearful about that. God, would you calm them? And Lord, encourage them that you are worthy. God, we worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen.